Hello, everyone. Joshua Gilliland here with my partner, Jessica Peterson. Hey, Josh. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Fantastic. It's the day after Thanksgiving. Neither of us are shopping or fighting for our lives or telling people to start litigation holds. We are here to talk <laughs> about the 40th anniversary of Superman the movie. Dum, 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 dum. I wish I could do that John Williams score. I can never get it. I can hear it in my head and I can't replicate it. Because it's John Williams. And- Holy fudge. John Williams was like the man. I mean, for those of us of a certain age, 29 forever, woo woo. Um, I think John Williams scores kind of define our childhood and our big memories, right? Good oh, Lord. Ab- absolutely. The, the man still working and still awesome. And when we think about 1978, so it's the year after Star Wars, you know, uh, three years oh, after, yeah. three years after Jaws. So he's he's making his mark on all of us. And for many of us, uh, this is one of the first geek movies that we truly remember. Star Wars yeah. is a little, a little fuzzy for me. I remember Superman the movie clearly. So again, that year made a difference. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, and you're right. And well, in drama movies, it's interesting, you know, they always talk about the blockbuster and you hear lots of talk about um, Steven Spielberg with Jaws and George Lucas with Star Wars starting blockbusters. Um, obviously, Superman was a big part of that, too, but also John Williams. I mean, John Williams music and those blockbusters are so tied together. Um, it'd be interesting to kind of see a breakdown of his career and impact on things. But I mean, because those scores were so key. Absolutely. And uh, it inspires the film imagery. It makes you think of it. it. It's a truly masterful storytelling with the music. So, well, and it gives like, again, Superman to me that John Williams music, when you see him revealed after his 12 year voyage through space and time with like his dead father, you know, and then all of a sudden there he is in the fortress of solitude wearing the iconic suit and then starts to fly as that Superman music swells. Like without that music, it's like, this is kind of a silly thing. But with that, you know, again, it's like star Wars too, where the music does have such an impact and in the theater I don't recall watching it in a theater I'm sure I did but I just don't have a memory of that but that would have been so moving and inspiring I'm pretty sure it was a drive-in when I saw it and definitely remember it on tv well let's let's jump in because when we think of the movie you know there's the opening credits with the music and that's phenomenal it just sucks you right into that world and this is the first time we really see a superhero movie done right on the big screen. And in my opinion, this is the gold standard for all superhero movies that have come since then, that they're all judged against this one. I will tell you that's interesting because for me, and I had not had a chance to go back and like break it down, but obviously, I mean, I love Superman. I love Superman too. I even love Superman 3. I will defend like Richard Pryor and the Borg or whatever that was, kind of computer Borg thing, still the, one of the scariest things when I was a kid. So I'm probably the only person alive who loves Superman 3. But anyway, but you know, I love those movies as a kid, 
but to me, then as I got older, they were, I kind of viewed them as sort of a hokey joke thing, right? And then to me, Tim Burton's Batman um, with Michael Keaton was kind of beginning of what I would consider, you know, yeah, the great modern era of superhero movies. But now, like, looking back, watching this again in preparation for this um podcast i'm like shoot this is a great movie it's a you know the editing is slower than what we're used to in modern days um but otherwise i do think you know it really is good but i feel like for a while there i don't know that i got the respect it deserved um maybe it was almost too soon for its time to really get the respect it deserved although i do know it got critically praised at the time and they were told it would be a failure, and it wasn't. It did wildly successful at the box. Second office. biggest box office of the year, yes. Well, say speaking of saying it would fail, what I didn't realize before we get into legal issues was um, that this was maybe not quite gone with the wind, sort of casting drama and all that. But there was a lot of drama because this was, I think, at the time, it was the biggest budget movie, um, and there was all kinds of behind the scenes stuff, and huge names were looked at. They, you know, they were looking at. Jack Nicholson was another option for the Gene Hackman role. Apparently, Gene Hackman didn't want to shave off his mustache. <laughs> so Richard Donner, who ended up being the director, said he would shave his, too. So Gene Hackman agreed to, and then it turned out Richard Donner never had a real mustache. Um, but they talked about, you know, John Voight. Yeah, I know. That's pretty awesome. John Voight at one point was going to be Superman, which, oh, that would have been a totally different movie. They considered him supposedly Peter Boyle from Young Frankenstein, Everybody Loves Raymond, auditioned to be Otis, the great Ned Beatty character. Um, and then, like, Mario Puzo of Godfather fame actually was one of the credited writers for the movie, too. So, and apparently there's all kinds of drama. And the one big regret I had is there was a big dispute. You know, Marlon Brando, of course, famously got $3.7 million at the time for 12 days of shooting. And it was, like, the end of peak super gorgeous Marlon Brando and that white hair was awesome on him. But um, they of course were shooting the footage for Superman two at the same time. And because he ended up saying that he didn't get enough of the box office, they couldn't use any of his footage for Superman two. And that is a bummer because I think, especially given our interest in the legal issues, there could have been a lot of interesting angles there in Superman two, if they hadn't had that fight over his money. Yeah, that is unfortunate. And when you look at the, the character, Jor-El does have the curl yeah. that, that uh, Cal-El has. It's like, okay, so they did try making father and son have some traits in common, which is cool. Uh, there's a lot to this movie uh, with the direction, with the cinematography, that they do create this world. And it's told in like three or four chapters, depending on, on how you look at it. From Krypton to childhood to, uh, you know, becoming Superman and then becoming Clark Kent at the Daily Planet and everything that happens. So somebody could say, like, hey, this drags, but it's a lot of world building. Yeah, true. And it hadn't really been tried before on the big screen. At least I can't think of a superhero movie prior to this that's as timeless or successful. And while the Superman TV series was very successful and went on for many, many years with George Reeves, that's different. Uh, even though it's fun seeing the cameos uh, from some of the original actors. Ooh, I didn't know there were cameos. So on uh, the train scene where Clark is racing the train. Yeah. Uh, the, the person playing the mother to Lois Lane, 
was yeah. the orig original Lois Lane. <gasps> no <laughs> way! Oh, that's cool. So again, just little, just a little hint. Nice. And I think the original Jimmy Olsen's in there someplace as well, but I don't remember. And it's just little things like that. It's like, okay, nice nod. Well done. Well, let's, let's jump into some of the legal analysis since we, we could gush about this. Yes. And, and this movie opens with a trial, which is like Richard Stoner's way of telling us that he loves us. And <laughs> it's a shout out to the legal geeks when we were just babies. It's like, thank you. It's, it's like he knew our destiny. Like, <laughs> like we were sent here for a reason. And uh, so we have a trial with sort the, of. Sort of. I don't with, know if you could really call it a trial. It's it's like closing arguments to a trial. One-sided uh, closing arguments too. It's yeah. kangaroo court closing arguments. Yeah, it's it's Kryptonian justice leaves a few things to be desired, and let's <laughs> let's get into that. So, you know, we have uh, Zod, Non, and uh, was Ursula? Yes. Who are charged with treason that they wanted to overthrow the government and make their new world order that would have had Zod as the iron-fisted ruler. And we can all agree that sort of thing is bad. So while reforms needed to happen, that would not have been plan A. They, uh, so, you know, it, it's treason. It, it is insurrection. Yes. Like, those are concepts we understand. And treason you know, does carry the death penalty. And no government likes that. We don't know if they killed anyone. We don't know how far they went. It seemed to imply it a bit, I thought, with Nod and Ursula. But yeah, it's not clear exactly what they had done. It's also not clear if it had any connection to, of course, then what came with like the destruction of the planet. Yeah, because if they were trying to warn people, like, hey, mm -hmm. this thing's going to blow up, that's different than just overthrowing the government. But uh, that would have been a very different trial. Presumably, hopefully, Jal, 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 wait, Dorel would have done something differently if that had been the case. So, yeah, because I thought for a moment there that maybe they were connected, but I don't think they were. No. But no. that's part of the problem. We don't know because they were not given a right to a defense. So there was no right to attorneys there, even though they were facing something that seemed maybe almost worse than death the way they acted about it. Yeah, the fact they referred to going being sentenced to the Phantom Zone as eternal living death, that raises some interesting, cruel, and unusual punishment. Ooh, that too. Because normally punishment does end at some point, and it could end with death. Like, that's would be how it goes. For them, you're just going to be stuck there for eternity, and that could be problematic because there should be a sentence... And it's, you know, life in prison ends when the person dies. So mm -hmm. if you're going to execute somebody, they're executed. Not they hang out in limbo yelling, I'm sorry, forgive me. I know. I, like that's, that's a good way to ensure bitterness. So, and, uh, and also they give up on rehabilitation as well. Yes. And I remember that did stick with me from the time I was a kid. That's probably one of the you know main takeaways. I remember that whole, yeah, them pressed up against kind of that mirror glass thing, screaming, clearly tortured and miserable. That was pretty awful. Yes. Yes, it is. But this raises an interesting issue with Jor-El saying, we have to evacuate the planet. Yes. I can't help but wonder... 
if a First Amendment guaranteeing the freedom of speech would have saved Krypton from its utter destruction, because Jarrell was banned from telling people his research, saying it was sedition and would lead to insurrection. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a full-on prohibition against speech, which you there are very limited circumstances that you could you know ban speech uh you know like it's, it's yelling fire in a theater right. well, the plant's gonna blow up okay like you have to produce evidence of that but at least people then would have had a choice of like oh you're a crazy old man or you know what we got spaceships we're out of here and and we could have a nice i told you so moment when you're all dead uh this is right up there if, if like the EPA and Department of Interior decided to criminalize and like prosecute people who who say like, hey, climate change is real. If they were like, it's like, no, 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 we'll just gag you and uh, prosecute you for warning people about climate change, the ozone depletion or melting ice caps, things like that. It is hard not to draw parallels right now to the climate change right and the government actively preventing scientists or government leaders from investigating it, from following it, from warning people about it. So, yeah, so I was saying, I mean, there are multiple layers there. One, you know, what is the, theoretically, if somebody were to survive or if somebody was off, let's say off, um, let's say there were assets off planet and some of the family members were off planet, you know, could they bring a suit somehow against the government um, for yes, their suppression of this? Does Doral still have like some sort of duty to warn, you know, legally, I don't know if he does ethically. I'm like, you're all going to die in 30 days. Why are you not warning people anyway? I mean, that whole, I did feel like that whole part, I get what they had to do with that, but I'm like, that was uh, disappointing for Doral that he's just like, all right, I'm going to send my son away. I'm not going to give anyone else a chance to send their children away. And then we're just going to um, die here. But yeah, it definitely, there was, that was a very pro- problematic thing all around and certainly made me think of modern day and government hostility to like what is very clear science about future immense problems. Yeah. And, and while he did the artful pleading of you know, leaving his son out of the equation. He could mm-hmm. have just said, like, yeah, I won't tell anyone. Screw you guys. I'm out of here. And, <laughs> and then just leave and fly away. Yeah. Like, that, that, that would be a very different story uh, because you have to get to the Moses story is, is what this is a parable of. Yeah. Um, you know, the chosen one, you know, is a refugee who's, put in the basket and floats down the river, except this is a spaceship and comes to Earth. Luckily, you know, we, we don't have a, a, you know, government that's hostile to alien refugees that has a space force shooting down, you know, caravans of stellar travelers trying to get away from murders and environmental disasters. So, like, that's a perk. I know. And- I, again, yeah, the parallels to now and a child trying to escape a horrendous destructive home <laughs> and actually illegally entering our country, it is hard to avoid those parallels right now. And I'm like, he's basically a dreamer. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if ICE had their way, they would throw some kryptonite chains around Superman right now and drag them somewhere. Um, yeah, so again, hard not to see that parallel. Yeah, we just don't want your kind here, so we're going to make it as inhospitable as possible. And uh, Are you from Norway? If you're from Norway, we'll consider it, but otherwise, no. No, no, get out, get out. Yeah, it's, as, um, as one friend described it, there's nothing like hitting the weakest, the hardest, 
with the family separation policy and putting, oh, yeah. ch- putting children in cages. And that's <laughs> the beautiful parallel of, of Superman from 1938, especially when you consider what was happening in 1938. Yes. That two Jewish comic creators were trying to make a point and they did one hell of a job. Okay, and there's the entire rights issues that they had with work for hire and selling the characters. I know, those poor guys. I listened, American copyright. I, I don't remember if it was a podcast or a documentary about Superman, but as the story goes, when this movie premiered and the credits came up with you no know, character created by there was cheering in the audience because they were getting their dues. And that's a good thing because Superman defines the beginning of the comic era. Yes. They, I mean, he's literally one of the first superheroes who's timeless, which is why having this movie be extremely successful is important. Yeah. But so we got the refugee issue we then get adoption and there's a lot of fun issues with you can't just find a kid and claim them as your own at least you might have been able to pull it off in the 1950s i think you could have the whole nephew from south north dakota i'm like that probably would have worked back then yeah and in the john Byrne comic man of steel which was like one of the first reboots to modernize the superman story back that that was in it's in the mid-80s. I want to say 86, but I could be wrong. But mid-80s, mid to late 80s when, when he does that, you know, they did, there was a long winter. And, and that was their cover story for saying he was you know, their biological son. Ah. As we move further along with technology, it's really hard to make this work. Uh, so there's that of how does Superman, the story, work in, in the 21st century. And arguably somebody born in the 70s or 80s, that might still fly. But, you know, for, you know, if you re- reboot this to, to take place with somebody born in, say, 2010, that's yeah. really hard to make this fit. Um, it might also be hard to make this fit with smartphones uh, because she's going to have to move really, really fast to do a quick change. So there's... <laughs> But, I'm on conspiracy theorists slowing everything down frame by frame. Oh, God. Facial uh, recognition technology. Amazon would figure it out before anyone else. Yeah, yeah Facebook. I mean, there's, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot there. Uh, but when you, you think of Ma and Pa Kent, you know, with their, like in under five minutes, there's more heart, visual storytelling, and character development with Jonathan and Martha Kent than in all other film interpretations of those characters. And that's phenomenal and a credit to the filmmakers. Yeah. Yeah, they were great. Um, I, you know, the teenage Clark Kent just, I don't know. I was never crazy about that casting, but, um, but, and, you know, but otherwise, yeah, it was good. I liked them, liked Lana. They do love their alliteration. It is cute. Uh, but like with Jonathan Kent, look at the number of lines that he has in like under three minutes, and then they kill the character off with a heart attack, 
and you actually care. That's that's not an easy trick to pull off because Kevin Costner and Man of Steel, that didn't happen. No, that's true. It was. That was very good. And I think, of course, knowing what comes later with Lois Lane, seeing Superman's frustration um, and how he feels about, you know, even with all of his strength. And it's a little bit of the Spider-Man to Peter Parker kind of feel, but less so because that was more direct. But in this case, I mean, I'm like, unless he can use his lasers to somehow cut off the bleeding, I don't know, something that I'm bad with heart attack technology, but basically not being able to do anything and being completely powerless there, obviously um, is a very moving moment for even a Superman to realize he can't fix everything. And then, of course, we know what comes with Lois Lane. Yeah, they have to, it's their way of putting limits on him that Mm -hmm. can't stop a heart attack. There was, there was a, uh, a little independent web film that was done based upon one of the, the comic series of of Clark as in high school and his best friend has cancer and ah. his and his frustration with his friend having cancer and the fact you know with his x-ray vision he can see something inside of his friend and talking to his dad about it and being horrified uh, by that. It's like, okay. Like, there are ways to really humanize someone who's indestructible. Yeah. And again, it's just one of those great ways to, to tell stories about this character. So then moving on to the Fortress of Solitude, which, of course, is very cool. But now watching it, my first thought is he just hikes somewhere up to, I guess, the North Pole and then just tosses this thing and the Fortress of Solitude grows like those old the crystal things used to. I'm like, all right. So, you know, he's basically squatting, right? Although, of course, it's squatting on ice. So then, of course, my second question is, I'm like, is it still there or is it slowly melting into the ocean? But, um, you know, obviously the North Pole, all the countries have agreed that nobody really owns or controls any of that up there. Everybody has like their economic zones around their northern borders. But I'm like, technically, he's probably violating international law um, and or squatting in somebody's economic enterprise zone or whatever they call those. Exclusion zone. Exclusion. Okay. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it depends where. I'm like, we don't know if it's northern Canada, and it does melt through ice. So, does it form a landmass? Is it just, uh, or is it important to just not think too hard about that and just <laughs> accept it and be grateful for what we have? So it's a, uh, yeah, it, it's a tough one to go. Like, is there land anywhere? Yeah. How does it build? How, yeah, structurally, does it not crater down? Also, does he not need to eat? Was he just up there for 12 years flying around with, like, not eating? I'm trying to remember, like, I don't know. He's he, not a robot. And, you know, he's still you know, biological. Right. He must need form. fuel. Yeah. Maybe so, there were fuel things up there. They had power bars before anybody else did. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah maybe a replicator system of some kind. <laughs> Again, or it's one of those things like maybe we shouldn't think about it too hard. 
So we don't. I have always that. think about that. I'm like, when is there time? Anytime I'm watching any movie and people are running around doing stuff, I'm always like, when is there time to eat, sleep, and pee? Because I tell you what, no matter what's going on, I need to do at least one of those things every few hours. So I'm, uh, I always wonder about that in movies when people are just like, no, 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 I can go 24, 48 hours without any biological function getting in the way. Yeah, unless he's snacking on seals, you know, like there's, <laughs> which again would raise whole kinds of issues That's with right. PETA and others of, of uh, the barbecue seal taking place and uh, <laughs> develops a taste for walrus, like, you know, that could, uh, <laughs> that could be super bad. So, uh, uh, but again, better not to think about that. Right. So he then, without a college degree, definitely a high school diploma, but without a college degree. And a weird 12-year blank on his resume. Where were you? Uh, <laughs> does the, did he figure out identity theft and like how to fudge some things? I mean, how, how did this work? Was it independent study? I just, uh, again, there are some holes there that are a little problematic. I know if he hadn't been gone for 12 years, if he'd been gone for a month, it's like, okay, so now I'm going to go to Iowa State. Like, you know, like that could, <laughs> people would be down with that. It's like, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, you stayed in the Midwest. Okay, we get that. Like, sure. Everyone would be okay with that. Or, yes. Um, pick, pick, I was in Nebraska. Okay, cool. He probably and could it, say he was working on a family farm helping his mom. That'd probably be safe cover. That would be because there's one other person in the cover story that needs to be there. And as long as there's no other deep investigations, that's cool. Yeah. But we don't know if he committed resume fraud or not. So, yeah. He, when he starts taking superhero actions, they're saving people, which, uh, or... Uh, he then quickly crosses into law enforcement with, uh, you know, stopping the robber scaling the side of the building mm-hmm. or the, you know, it was like the bank robbery and stealing a boat and or the boat was one of the getaway vehicles, uh, which again, I, I guess the Coast Guard was slow on the draw in Metropolis, but uh, he, they would get those guys. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know the duty to there's no duty to rescue, so all those actions could be seen as, um, you know the you know going out and rescuing people, which is theoretically you know uh, something that would be okay. We well, there's no independent duty to go out. He's acting as a good Samaritan, going out and helping others. Yes, although depending on the state, right, the yeah. consequences of his actions, he could bear some liability for if everything doesn't go perfectly smoothly. Correct. Uh, but he saves, you know, cats from trees and and then we get, you know, laugh at child abuse. But, you know, there's a... There's a lot of stuff now. Again, this is true of all the movies. I mean, like, you know, what was it? Miss Teschmacher or whatever at one point. Yeah. Saying, I know I'm going to get a rap across the mouth for this one. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be beat by my boyfriend. But I'm going to say this anyway. You're just like, wow, it's funny how we used to laugh at all these things. Yeah, now we're all just really, really uncomfortable. With what? Yes. No. No. That's oh, God. Really- we have laws. <laughs> yeah. This is not okay. No. Yeah, it is uh, some of that stuff, obviously. Yeah, both with, you know, kids and then also with um, women. And, of course, Otis, too. He also is physically abusive to Otis, too. So, 
<laughs> played by the great Ned Beatty. Oh, he's so great. Yes, yes, he is. And uh, not too long after Deliverance either. So, you know, yeah, this easier role. Well, and we're, okay, of course, what is Ned Beatty? Wait, what else is, no, I always get Ned Beatty and um, Burt Reynolds' sidekick, Dom DeLuise. Oh, that's awful. I always get the two of them confused because, of course, Dom DeLuise played the great doofus in Caddy, or, uh, Cannonball Run, if you want to talk about a very, oh, awkward to watch now movie, but I still love it. Yeah, 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 some things don't hold up well. <laughs> no, uh, some do, some do not. But anyway, so yeah, so okay, sorry, so we were talking about, um, oh, well, and the law enforcement and the Good Samaritan, um, yes, and where one? he's got to be careful, yes. Uh, again, that generally does get you a, a bunch of free passes, so yeah. we like that Heck. sort of thing. I say, what did Nixon give Elvis? And Elvis got something right for just because Nixon liked his music. He got was he a special like DEA officer or something comical given his drug habit? So yeah, you figure Superman should get like the key to the White House. Yeah, and Elvis did visit the White House with two loaded guns. So you know, there's <laughs> yeah, crazy time. The 70s. Speaking of guns, yeah, seventies Elvis. I'm sorry, I cut you off. But I was going to say, speaking of guns, of course, in the scene where, you know, Clark Kent's just really meeting Lois Lane for the first time and they get held up by the mugger. Um, and, of course, Superman even says, you know, he says, you know, you can't solve society's problems with guns. And I'm like, oh, again, something that's still so timely and still so hotly debated 40 years later. So I was like, go, Superman. Yeah, it's one of the enduring qualities of this character is, you know, he just represents good, you know, and okay, guns don't solve all problems. Or Lo- Lois mocking him for saying golly. It's like, well, swell. no, for swell. Swell, swell. Well, it just feels natural. It's like, huh. <laughs> it's like, I kind of didn't want to hear that. It's, you know, just that innate goodness that, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy to mock. But, you know, the character stands for what's doing right. And, uh, which, oh, go on. I was going to say, it reminds me of one of your favorite characters, right? Captain America. I mean, was Mm -hmm. Captain America, you know, a lot of times Marvel kind of would have their answer to DC characters or whatever as Marvel came in. Was Captain America sort of an attempt? Obviously, he can't fly, but he is, you know, super strong, super obvious, and super good, like Superman. I, I, I do think there are archetypes. Yeah. And and they do. There are qualities in common from both of them, with being profoundly decent. And I'm not sure how much of that is just the World War II era. Yeah. You no, know, and and Great Depression to World War II, with wanting to have somebody decent. You know, that's inspiring. That represents the best of us. And you know, with the comparison to Steve Rogers, it's you know he's the sickly kid who gets mm-hmm. the super soldier serum. And becomes super strong, and you know it was brave to begin with, and and again, completely different character arc, but both stand for right and wrong. And you know, and you jump back to Superman, you know, he stands for truth, justice, and the American way. You know, when Luthor and and Otis are dropped off at prison, you know, Superman says to the warden, "Make sure these men get a fair trial." You don't hear that. It's frequently, you know, like this isn't the next snap ending. It's they go to jail and they're going to get a fair trial. You know, you flip to Cap, 
and there was a in the Daredevil storyline Born Again. That's that's Frank Miller. Uh, you know, Cap plays a role in that, and uh, Cap confronts a police officer and says, "Like I stand for the dream," and uh, you know, which is going going beyond the flag. It's it's what it represents, and both characters have that quality of representing what's the best about us that there there is due process there are trials that we don't do kangaroo courts and summary executions which puts kal-el in a very different spot than his dad with how the kryptonian legal system worked yeah yes very much so although i also like what was it jor-el says about like you know he was sending Superman to Earth 2 because they had the potential, like this species had the potential to be great. They just needed a leader or an example. Yeah, which again, it works. It's meaningful and uh, uh, it's a good thing. So we like that. We do like that. Uh, but yes, I do love that character and, and the interpretation that was done was extremely moving. And it's... yeah. There's a reason why this is one of those timeless films that, sure, there's some uncomfortable scenes. Uh, <laughs> all, all the Miss Tessmacher and the hostile work environment that would take place. And, okay, like, that's all bad. Like, that's super bad. Uh, but then you've got, like, Lois Lane, too. You've got Jimmy Olsen, who, I mean, I think that's part of why this show, this um, movie can get a little bit mocked because you do have Jimmy Olsen, too, as Mr. Aw, shucks, you know, just wide-eyed, innocent, whatever, but he's so sweet and wants to be good. And then you do have Lois Lane, who she's, you know, uh, there's a long line in Hollywood of kind of the smart, fast-talking, tough women in the men's world kind of thing. Um, obviously, like, His Girl Friday is probably one of those, but Margot Kidder as Lois Lane is so fantastic. I just love her so much. And the guy who played Perry too who shoot I forget now there were actually several other big name actors who were supposed to play him Jackie Cooper that's right and somebody else though too I think or turned it down Uh shoot I've lost that now and yeah and so he came in like the last minute actually to do this but um but the characters were great yeah they really do bring the comic to life Mm -hmm. and I think this part of the formula that they had was they respected the source material yeah. They, you know, they didn't deviate from the core message. And it's it's okay for translating some comics to screen that there have has to be some changes. Like that that's understandable that sometimes you just have to make some changes. But as long as you respect the source material, it mm-hmm. can work. And they they clearly loved the source material. And they went out of their way to make a movie that was a beautiful tribute to, at the time, 40 years of comic history, now 80 years of comic history. Oh, yeah. Action Comics just had their 1,000th issue like four issues ago. I I haven't read all of them. Yeah. So they passed issue 1,000. That's phenomenal. So how many – there's only a handful of other characters – still in existence that people read about from 1938, 39 uh, time period. And like, you know, that's basically what, four, you know, five that you get Superman, Batman, 
Wonder Woman, and I don't remember if she was 1940 or what year she came out. Okay. Uh, on Timely, which ultimately becomes Marvel, you have Submariner and the original Human Torch, and there are some other characters that float around that have popped in occasionally, but like nothing consistent. And then Captain America yeah. in, in 1941. So. Uh not a long list of, no. of characters and uh, that's just phenomenal so again I think this there's a reason why this is you know the first true superhero movie that's successful that stood the test of time the majority of the effects still look good uh, there's there's some that's like okay you know they are more. they're not as bad as I expected no they clearly pretty good yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the Kryptonian surface, okay, that could be enhanced with, you know, a little CGI, just a little, but the models are exceptional. <laughs> the flight scenes are fantastic, and that was, like, the first big, I think it was blue screen that, that they did. Ah. Just awesome. So, just to kind of move towards the end of this, Luther's Crimes... Oh, he's a busy boy. What uh, what were your thoughts on, on all uh, the crimes? He's, he's the world's busy. greatest criminal mastermind. I mean, he is by what he's trying to do, right? His ultimate idea to somehow basically blow the California coast into the ocean and own all the real estate. Um, I mean, basically, I I guess I don't even know if that's treason or if it's beyond treason. I mean, it's basically an act of war that he's undertaking there ultimately, right? And all the other crimes kind of lead up to that. Um, Obviously, just any time, I'm sure there's several military laws you violate by tampering with any kind of weapon, but especially (laughs) nuclear ones. So, but yeah, I don't know if that even goes beyond, because it's not even really treason, because he's actually not trying to overthrow the government, but, right, he's totally fine with the government as it is. He's literally just trying to attack American soil for purposes of financial gain. Yeah, which, I mean, it's, it's a form of domestic terrorism. It's Yeah. But it's not, over, it's not a political statement. Right. It's, it's mm-hmm. just to freaking make money. Mm-hmm. And, he, yeah, it's, it's a giant real estate deal that he's after. And uh, it's like, okay, you know, that's – it's not trying to rule the world type super villain. No. It's make a ton of money. And okay. Like it's, it, that's plausible. Like it doesn't make sense if like, I'm not here to watch the world burn down. No. I'm here to make a lot of money. And it's like, okay. So we get the nuclear weapon issue, the like blowing up New Jersey would, I mean, like that's full on, <laughs> it's 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 terrible. mass murder i guess yeah, yeah mass murder it's there's a there no you don't get to do that that's uh we would throw the book at you forever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and attempted <laughs> terrorism uh very bad man uh and very bad man meanwhile just like misuse of public property or taking a public property with that whole little like palatial estate he has somehow and they never quite explained it but it looks so cool the visuals of it where he's somehow living in the like it's almost like they built a, a grand central station on top of an old grand central station and he's living in the old one down below or something absolutely and 
when that, you know, the hallway with the flamethrowers and the ice, like they they replicated that in a Supergirl episode. It's like, oh. okay, well done. Nice little homage. Uh, I'm sure it's been done other times, but it's like, okay. It's like, you know, that this movie's been honored recently uh, and, a, you know, a Superman spinoff. Nice. Story. It's like, okay, cool. Uh, very well done. So it just, I, I mean, I love Superman too, but we can talk about that for its anniversary when it comes up. Uh, then we're going to talk about Superman 3 when it comes up. That still scares me. I, I remember it fondly, and we can talk about the good and the bad of it. So. <laughs> I do have to say one more thing, too. I was thinking of when you were talking about how iconic these characters are. Superman in particular, and maybe that's one of the challenges of making a good movie about him, is that he is so good. There's no edge, right? You don't have Batman, who I think they've gone too dark with, but obviously there's total dysfunctional edges there. Um, you've got, obviously, Iron Man with all of his Batman boy trying to be rehabilitate kind of thing superman is just good and all the time good and wonder woman had a little bit of this challenge and you know so maybe in the late 70s that earnestness worked well and then i think you know between the 80s and 90s earnestness was kind of goofed on right and i read some articles last year talking about wonder woman and wonder woman being a return to just earnest goodness she was just good there was no edge no snarkiness to her goodness and so maybe the world is so awful right now that you know because obviously they've tried to remake superman's poor brandon ruth uh henry cavell who's gorgeous but just boring as all get out in that role like maybe now with the right director and the right actor they could do it um and kind of give an homage to this sort of the earnest goodness of the first superman but without making it completely boring they succeeded with the captain america movies that joe johnston yeah the first avenger because captain america is in the same boat that it could backfire horrifically and coming across as you know cheesy or like you know this you know pax americana type type feel Mm mm-hmm and they don't. And I think when you look at the snack, Zack Schneider Superman, uh, it misses the point because Superman doesn't have angst. He doesn't, <laughs> he, you know, he, he chooses to go out and do good. And mm-hmm. while Dad did want him to have his secret identity so, like, he could actually have a life and not be, you know, hounded all the time, it's like, no, choose to be good. Like, go out and help people like so like mm-hmm. that that message is a good one mm-hmm. and uh, you, you, again having people who actually love the character helps to tell that and i will say the casting too because chris evans who i love on twitter um and chris evans of course is, seems to be very tormented about being captain america right like he's kind of actually complained about being captain america since he started doing it but he is so good. I mean, he's got great material to work with, but he is also, again, like Christopher Reeve, that he comes across as somebody who's, who at least in the, I don't know what he's like in personal life, although he's, again, great on Twitter, takes down like Nazis and white supremacists and Trump all the time. But anyway, but you know, he, he's so good. He comes across as such a good, genuine person, but again, also somebody that you enjoy watching which isn't just about these people are all gorgeous but it's just something else about their you like to watch them and you like to watch them do good um so yeah they need to find somebody else who again can do that like the great 
past, yeah, Christopher Reeve could do or um, Chris Evans. I, I think part of the formula is when you're appealing to, to an American audience, and I, I do think it, you know, the values are universal, we want to be the good guy. We're the ones who liberate death camps. We're not supposed to put children in cages. I know. We used to want to be the good guys. I feel like some people do not want to be that anymore. There are those who don't want to be the good guys anymore. But the majority of the country uh, in two different elections now has proven (laughs) (laughs) we're still the good guys. We still think this way. And we're still rooting for we're the people who go in and save the day because that's who we are. And with that... So everyone, stay geeky, stay geeky, America. Bye.